0: When farmers grow the crops that feed us, they often have to contend with various pests, insects and mites, nematodes, fungi, bacteria, viruses. And farmers deal with these pests in a lot of different ways, ways I'll talk about in another podcast. But first, let's consider this very basic and important question. Why are there pests? That question can be divided into a couple of sub-questions. First one is, Where do these things we call pests come from, and what's their role in the natural world? And the second part, does the fact that these farmers have to deal with these pests mean that something's wrong, that something's out of balance? These are the questions we'll be talking about on the next two installments of Pop Agriculture. Remember the iconic song Circle of Life from The Lion King? The Circle of Life was composed by Elton John with words by Tim Rice for the 1994 Disney movie. It was nominated for an Academy Award, topped the charts in the U.S. and the U.K., and is prominently featured at many Disney attractions today. The song and that segment of the film do a great job of portraying an idealized vision we have about nature as a beautiful, benign, and harmonious thing. Somehow, Simba and Nala don't seem to need to hunt any of the other friendly animals to survive. They they can just sort of think Hakuna Matata. Okay, so that vision is a little naive, a little bit too soft and cuddly. So to get back to the central question for today, how do the things we call agricultural pests fit in the circle of life? To start, I think it's important to remember That crops are plants, and plants are the source of food for all the other living things. Okay, algae too. Only plants and algae can absorb the carbon dioxide in the air and combine it with captured energy from the sun to make the forms of energy that not only keep plants alive, but also keep everything else alive that isn't a plant. All living things depend in some way on plants. And there are a lot of different relationships between plants and the things that depend on them. Some of these relationships are mutually beneficial. Animals that eat fruit from plants help spread the plant's seeds about. Pollinators come for the nectar or the pollen as food, but while doing so, they're helping the plant to mix and match its genes to adapt and survive. The grazing animals in a grassland ecosystem may be eating a lot of the plant's leaves, but they're actually helping to maintain the system that favors those grasses versus some other plants that might otherwise take over. So, so far, all nice circle of life type examples, right? Well, it's not all about mutual benefit. I learned something about this during the first summer after I started my training in agricultural science. It was 1978, and I had the chance to take my new bride on a trip from California back to the mountains of Colorado to show her one of my favorite childhood haunts. We backpacked about eight miles into the Maroon Bells Wilderness Area near Aspen, camped by a beautiful lake under a towering peak. The next day, we climbed up to the alpine meadows at about 12,000 feet above the timberline. The meadows were just as I remembered, filled with wildflowers. To me, this was paradise. You almost expected to hear Julie Andrews break out with The Hills Are Alive with the Sound of Music. But in the meadow on this particular day, I began to notice something I'd never seen in all my earlier visits. Thanks to my new eyes, provided by my little bit of ag education, I was seeing signs of pest damage on many of the plants. There were bumps on some leaves from gall wasps. Some leaves and even flowers showed obvious signs of insect feeding. And there were little aphids on many other plants. Some plants had leaf spot disease symptoms. There were pests in paradise. Then I saw a wildflower whose leaves were clearly infected by a rust fungus. Now, in my introductory mycology class, I had learned that rusts are very specialized parasites that can only infect a certain host species. So if there was a rust in that alpine plant, It had to have evolved there with that particular host species. They were both natives and both fully part of the natural order, part of the circle of life. So what I learned that beautiful summer day was that indeed there are organisms in nature that base their survival on plants but not in a way that benefits the plant. Some eat parts of the plants, some suck nutrients out of the plant, way a mosquito sucks blood out of us. Some infect the plant as parasites, some even kill the plant. Well, these various organisms are very much part of nature, but if we could ask the plants, they would probably agree with us that they are pests. Why do I say that? Well, just as a plant uses its energy to attract pollinators or tempt fruit consumers, plants often use some of their energy to try to repel, discourage, or even kill these more freeloading fellow species. They're trying to fight back. Many years after that Colorado hike, I I read a scientific journal article about someone who studies the ecology of some of those high mountain meadow plants. How does that sound for a job, huh? Anyway, this researcher found that one subset of a certain flower species specializes in a strategy of flowering very quickly and making seeds fast so it can be done before one of the particularly nasty insect pests kills it. Another subset of that same plant species flowers more slowly, but devotes a lot of its energy to making chemicals that are toxic to that insect. So depending on the year, one strategy or the other is more successful. But either way, the species survives. Plants can defend themselves in several specific ways. Many plants make chemicals to combat pests. Others make thorns. Some have such hairy leaves that it interferes with insect pests who want to lay their eggs there. And plants often have ways to recognize when they're being infected by something like a fungus or a bacterium, and they start what's called a hypersensitive reaction. The cells around the point of infection quickly die and release chemicals and enzymes that will block the pest from going any further. And if that works, the damage is limited to a tiny brown spot. So pests are a common part of the natural order, and plants have evolved various strategies to deal with that reality. To some extent, this sounds like a bit more of a realistic view of the balance of nature, and not some happy circle of life, but more of a back-and-forth struggle that generally allows for the survival of both the plant species and the survival of the not-so-friendly organisms that depend on them. It's much more of a Darwinian survival of the fittest thing than a Disney hakuna matata. So how does all this translate into the world of crop plants? Well, just like everything else, humans depend on plants for survival. Plants we eat or plants that we feed to the animals that we milk or eat. Over the last 10,000 or so years, we've domesticated some of the plant species available. Actually, a very small subset of all the plants that are out there. And these plants are in a mutually beneficial relationship with us. We obviously benefit from what they can do, and we spread, tend, and protect the plants. At least the farmers do. Now, like any species, domesticated plant species have pests in their natural, wild settings. Pests were always part of the deal. The wild relatives of crop plants suffer some damage from their particular pests, but it's a tolerable amount of damage so long as the species can survive and continue to reproduce. Once we humans start using a plant for our purposes, there tends to be a lower threshold of how much pest damage is too much. If a wild plant species suffers a lot of damage from an insect or a fungus so it's only able to make a half or a quarter as many seeds that it might otherwise have made, that's tolerable as long as there's still enough seeds to ensure the survival of the plant species. If a farmer grows a crop and only gets half or a quarter of the production potential, that's really not a tolerable outcome. First of all, it would probably mean the farmer couldn't make enough money to stay in business, but there's more to it. There's only so much land that's suitable for growing crops and only so much water available as rain or for irrigation. It takes energy and resources to plant, cultivate, fertilize, and harvest a crop. And so it's not okay to use those resources inefficiently because of pest damage. From the consumer side, if a farmer were to simply tolerate pest damage, it would make the cost of food a lot higher, and it could diminish its quality and could even make it unsafe to eat. So even though pests are part of the natural order, there has to be a lower tolerance for pest damage for the plants that we use as crops. Now, as I mentioned earlier, plants in nature do fight back against pests in various ways. As humans, we can and do tap into many of those natural defense mechanisms. The wild ancestors of our domesticated crops can often be tapped for use in breeding as a source of genetic diversity, including ways to fight off pests. You can hear more about that in an earlier podcast titled, Should Plants Get to Go Wild. But not all the ways that plants fight against pests in nature are suitable for domestic crop versions. In some cases, the wild version of the plant wouldn't even be safe for us to eat because of the toxic chemicals that they make. Now, many food crops still make anti-pest chemicals, But that only works if these chemicals are at levels low enough that they don't make us sick, taste terrible, or at least something that gets disarmed by cooking. And that's actually the case for several foods. In general, food crops are probably less chemically armed than their wild versions. And we also tend to want to use less of certain physical defenses, like thorns. Case in point. Today, people are working hard to uh, make blackberries more of a domesticated and widely available fruit crop, and that's a good thing. One of the specific goals for those berry breeders is to get thornless versions of blackberry to make life a lot easier for the workers who pick the berries. So domesticated crops are sometimes a little wimpier when it comes to fighting off pests, particularly if that difference makes them more attractive food for us. I wouldn't say that is the major reason why farmers have to take steps to deal with pests, but it's part of the mix. So to start answering our question, why are there pests in agriculture, we see that the kinds of organisms that are pests are also pests of plants in nature. And plants fight back against those pests, and the diversity of genetics behind those efforts is a continuing resource for agriculture. For farmed crops, there's a lower tolerance for pest damage if we want to be efficient in our use of resources. We also can't use all the pest defenses deployed in nature because some of those would be bad for us. So, pests are part of our circle of life. In the next episode, we'll continue this topic and ask whether some of the difficulties with pests occur because there's something wrong with the way that we farm. can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.